You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Steve Jobs. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Revolution. Thanks for joining us for another episode this week. We are talking about one of my favorite topics today that is important and vital for your health. You're probably having symptoms or you might be of deficiency of this hormone, but you haven't been able to pinpoint what's causing it. And that hormone is testosterone. So if the dots are not connecting for you in your life right now, and you're still finding that your health is a puzzle, keep moving forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. And my guest today and I are going to help you to connect some of those dots. I'll tell you a little bit about her and then we'll get started. Dr. Tara Scott, hormone guru, helps people find the cause of their symptoms and get them on a path to optimal health. With over 25 years of experience and three board certifications in OBGYN, functional medicine and integrative medicine, Dr. Scott has helped thousands of patients struggling with hormone issues, including endometriosis, breast cancer, weight gain, and more. She is the founder of Revitalize Academy, a course to help patients improve their hormone problems themselves. After suffering from infertility and curing her own endometriosis, she now helps others achieve that same balance. Dr. Scott has been speaking and educating for over 10 years and has taught doctors her approach in five continents. She's been chosen to give her TEDx talk fall 2021. For her expertise, she has been featured on The List TV, Women's Health, Shape, The List, Newsweek, Parents, Authority Magazine, and on numerous podcasts. Welcome, Dr. Tara Scott. Thank you. So excited to have our little chat. Yes, I loved your interviews. One of our most popular on the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit. And I said, I have to have you on the podcast to talk about bioidenticals in more depth and also focus on the importance of testosterone. So why don't we dive right into it and let's just start with testosterone. What is it and why is it so important for women at midlife and beyond? It's funny because when I speak, I call it the forgotten hormone of menopause because everyone so concentrates on estrogen and estrogen and progesterone. And it's a little bit of a double standard with testosterone. So I'm really glad we're touching on this topic. So first of all, everybody has testosterone. It's more commonly associated with men, but women also make testosterone. And we all think testosterone is about libido or maybe muscle strength. And you think about those women who are bodybuilding and that's what testosterone is. But there's so much more. It does affect the, the integrity of our skin. It does affect our hair, but it also affects our mood, our brain function, our stamina. And you might be surprised to find out that there was an increase in all causes of death in women who had low testosterone at older ages. 
So these kind of things are really not advertised. So testosterone is made for a woman mostly from sources of the adrenal gland. And the adrenal gland, as you know, is a little gland on top of your kidney that only makes hormones that you can't live without. The ovary does make some testosterone, but the source, the primary source is from the adrenal gland through something called DHEA and more specifically androstenedione. So what happens is it's kind of like it has, as estrogen and progesterone vary throughout your menstrual cycle, testosterone has what we call a diurnal variation. So it's highest in the morning and then lower in the afternoon. And, you know, nature would have it that there's a little peak at ovulation to make you feel in the mood. So when your ovary stops working, it would also make sense that you don't make as much testosterone. You can still make it in the first couple of years after menopause, but eventually that will decline. And what people don't realize is that you can actually start that decline of testosterone much, much earlier in your life due to stress. Absolutely. That's so important. And so how would a woman know? Because like you said, we really focus in menopause in particular on estrogen and progesterone, but we don't often talk about testosterone. So what would a woman be experiencing that would let her know that she might be having a problem with her testosterone? Well, what we most commonly think of is low libido, but what another big one is painful intercourse or vaginal dryness or dry eyes or just like a low stamina. And it could be a little bit of low mood too. Sometimes it's associated with brain fog. Right. And I think that it's hard to tell a woman all of these symptoms fall in the progesterone category, these symptoms fall in estrogen, and these symptoms fall in testosterone. And you've really got, you have to address testosterone. It's kind of like saying, you know, which B vitamins am I missing in my diet? Well, you need them all. And so you've got to look at them all. So that's what I tell women about testosterone. If you're not looking at testosterone, you're not getting your levels checked properly, and we're going to talk about that, then you're missing the whole spectrum of all the colors in the crayon box. You've got to address this. And so if you have any symptoms in any of the categories that Dr. Tara is talking about, you must address your testosterone as a part of that. What are the appropriate ways to check testosterone levels? Well, that's actually part of the problem is that there was a world consensus on testosterone that was published in September of 2019. And so the world hormone experts, and they didn't invite you and me, I'm not sure why, but <laughs> they all got together and they decided, let's review for females all the literature that's published on testosterone. So one of the things that they did come up with in the recommendations is that assays for testosterone for women are not very accurate in the blood. Okay, so, you know, there's different types to do serum testing. There's now everybody's pushing for these more sensitive assays, which are LCMS. That's just a way to do the lab. So we always measure testosterone free and total because when you just look at the total testosterone, a lot of that is bound up and what's free to work. It's kind of like if you've got your paycheck and half of it went to your 401k, you can't use that money. It's in there, you have it, but it doesn't really matter about your rent. You just need to know what's free, what's in your paycheck. So for free testosterone, total testosterone, and then there's some also something called dihydrotestosterone. And certainly when we're assessing androgens, we also look at DHEA or DHEAS. And what they said is that these assays were not very specific. And if you look at the normal ranges, and I'm just thinking about what LabCorp says, which is a national lab. I think it's somewhere like 16 to 
55, let's just say I could be wrong, but specifically for the free testosterone level, it's zero to 2.2. So how is zero normal? I mean, zero is the bottom of the range. So you're always in the normal range. And actually what they do is they they kind of, when they can't quantify it, you just get kind of a less than, you know, less than 0.2. Well, how is that normal? It's never flagged as abnormal. So that's the first problem is that yes, assays are not as accurate in the blood. And the other problem is, and you know, you obviously know this as well, is that our testosterone isn't coming necessarily from the ovary. It's coming from peripheral conversion. So that isn't measured in the blood. That happens outside of the blood. So the blood comes from the from the ovaries, from the organs, and is circulating. And we're looking at venous blood, which is actually blood that's already been to your tissues and is being excreted out of, you know, not excreted, but going out. So those, that's not that most accurate place to look at hormones. So we do have urine testing. The dried urine test looks at something called epitestosterone, which seems to be a pretty accurate way of quantifying testosterone from the ovary. And then you can also look at the metabolites of testosterone and add that up and they do give you a range and it's an age range. And then there's salivary testosterone, which would account for that peripheral conversion of, of DHEA to testosterone. So there's different ways to do it. As you know, as we are part of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, their guidelines are don't even test hormones. Right. Which is not a great guideline. It's kind of like saying, yeah, don't worry about your vitamin D. Don't worry about your blood pressure. Don't worry about your hormones. But it, it has everything to do with quality of life. So more than that, it's confusing to me because if you look at any other endocrine situation, diabetes, we don't just give insulin without monitoring sugar. Thyroid, we always check at least the TSH, some kind of hormone. Some doctors check a T4. When you look at the guidelines for male hormone replacement of testosterone, there are guidelines to check levels. So I don't understand why for females, it's a double standard. Yes, for men, you can, and, and I'm happy to discuss the indications for testosterone for men and contrast them for the indications for women, because it's clearly a double standard, not just in the testing, but even in the indications. Sure, go ahead, talk about the double standard. <laughs> so if you look at the endocrine society, and again, the endocrine society, just to clarify, it's hard to say who is the end-all be-all for authority. Is it American College of OBGYN? Is it the endocrine society? Is it the North American Menopause Society? So we'll come of go through what all of those guidelines are. ACOG doesn't say much about it, you know, because it's a largely obstetric, you know, population. So the Endocrine Society has the guidelines for women. Okay, what who can take testosterone? Well, first they said, like I, I mentioned, that assays aren't really that accurate. Two is that they did come out and say there is no increased risk of cardiac events with testosterone supplementation. Three, they also said there's no increased incidence of breast cancer, which was great for them to have that in writing. And fourth, they said that testosterone could be indicated for postmenopausal women with hypoactive sexual disorder. And it's now called something else. It's not HSDD. I can't remember what they call it now. It's called something, the clinical term, but basically low libido is the only indication. And then they go so far to say, but there is no FDA approved testosterone available. So more studies are needed. So basically, yes, we acknowledge that there's not a cardiac risk. There's not an increased risk of breast cancer, that it could be useful, but oh, well, we can't, we don't have anything. If you look at the endocrine society guidelines for men, what does it say for testosterone levels? It says you can give testosterone for low mood, low energy, low libido. And then it says 
it, testosterone in the low end of normal. It doesn't even have to be abnormal, in the low end of the range. So their serum testosterone can be kind of low, but not abnormal, and they still qualify for testosterone replacement. So that's certainly a double standard. And like I said, there was um, a testosterone patch that was marketed and the studies were pretty favorable. And if you look at the FDA approval of something like testosterone gel for men versus how they approved this testosterone patch, it wasn't that they saw too many studies. It was that they said there weren't enough studies to prove a benefit. So it was mainly just the business thing that it got shelved. It wasn't that the patch was harmful or there was an increased risk. If you look at the guidelines for the FDA approval of testosterone, they didn't have that data either, but they approved it. So it is a little bit of a double standard. And so that's why, you know, we think outside of the box and we look at our N of one and think about, let's talk to each patient. What are the risk benefits and alternatives? You know, so you understand. And and if a patient needs it, I prescribe it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that double standard. Hopefully every woman listening is pretty indignant right now and saying that's not fair. And you know how the endocrine society and even in the consensus report, they only focused on low libido and they weren't looking at all of the other tissues and systems in the body that testosterone supports. And so if a woman's losing muscle mass, which means she's increasing her fat mass, that's an issue. If she's having depression or anxiety or no mood, a mood disturbance where she's not feeling that drive and initiative, that's an issue. Testosterone is so important for so many systems. So you started talking about treatment and you and I both work with bioidentical hormones. So what does that look like for somebody? So they actually don't, they don't say, they don't add recommend against a testosterone replacement, they recommend against compounding hormones, but then they say for testosterone, compounding could be necessary, which I think is interesting. And th- But they give, stick with the guidelines of postmenopausal low libido. And the thing that we also forget about, we always think about you know, women in their 50s, but these women that go through surgical menopause, they're going to experience a 50% decrease in their testosterone and probably at a much younger age as well. And so when we talk about testosterone, some practitioners may try to titrate a higher dose of testosterone. So Androgel, which is the commercially available for men, for example, comes in 50 milligrams and 100 milligrams. And just for a a comparison, the normal testes produces five to eight milligrams a day. So they are actually dosing much, much higher, which I'll come back to that in a second. An ovary, a healthy ovary produces about a third of a milligram of testosterone a day. And that's in the follicular phase when things are great, when you're still cycling. So just a comparison as to what are the actual doses. So for men, what they were doing is obviously when you give testosterone, since it is like estrogen and you give it orally, it wasn't affecting the test lipids in a good way. It was actually an adverse event. In addition, oral estrogen as well as oral testosterone seem to be associated with an increased risk of blood clots. So the recommendation, which I agree, is to give it transdermally. So somebody did go ahead and make transdermal testosterone for men. And in the studies that they were doing, they were looking for serum levels to come up. And first it was a cream and a cream is not going to increase the serum levels because you're putting it on your skin, it's going through to your capillaries and then it's being distributed into your tissues and we are measuring venous blood. And by the time the blood comes back, there's no hormone in there. It's already been delivered to the tissues. 
So they kept increasing the dose, increasing the dose. Then they changed it to a gel because gel penetrates the skin a little bit and can get a little bit of a spike in the blood. So they ended up taking a way, way over treating men, you know, 50 milligrams. So I'm not sure how you take 50 milligrams and get a half a milligram out of that for women. So I don't try to do that. So knowing that the ovary makes a third of a milligram to, to a half a milligram, you know, we start somewhere around there. Sometimes we start at a quarter milligram. Sometimes we titrate up. I have patients who are on one to two milligrams. It really just depends on the patients. I have also given it as what's called a, a rapid dissolve tablet. You got to be careful about those because you have to make sure they do dissolve the whole tablet. But what, what the tendency is to throw it in your mouth, let it dissolve, then chew and swallow. So if you swallow it, you're getting it orally. But some patients, if you say, oh, it, some compounding pharmacies can make a rapid dissolve, so it really does dissolve and it becomes a sublingual. So you're bypassing the liver and the gut that way. So I do have some patients. I also have some patients who have even given it sub-Q. Some patients choose to have it as a pellet. Some do well in it. A pellet is a super compressed hormone. So in order for that to last three months, think about it, you have to give a lot of hormones. So usually they get a really high peak and then they get a decay. So some women do fine with it, some don't. Some need a more steady do dosing. So there, there are a lot of ways that you can get testosterone with a knowledgeable provider. And then just back to the testing, I see a lot of providers who, for instance, a very popular BioT pellets, but they monitor with blood. And like you've so eloquently described, it's really inaccurate. I love that, that analogy of your paycheck and your 401k. And so if you're looking at venous blood levels, I've seen so many women overdosed on testosterone because they're getting blood levels checked, which don't really bump. And so what is appropriate monitoring for women who are on testosterone? So that is a really great question. And back to the pellets, the other, the bigger problem that I see is not only are they not monitoring correctly, the other thing, they're not monitoring correctly and their normal ranges is well super physiologic in their protocol. They're not monitoring estrone and testosterone has one enzyme that sends it straight to test and estrone, which for those people that don't know what estrone is, it is a type of estrogen, but the studies have shown it has a higher predisposition to cause growth in the breasts and the uterus and be more associated with things like breast cancer. So if you're not monitoring that and you're getting a lot of testosterone, you're only looking at the testosterone level and you're somebody who genetically is more apt to send that straight to estrogen, which I have a lot of patients that we see that, then guess what? You're going to be getting estrogen lots of estrogen, no one's ever going to see it. And then I really worry about breast and uterine cancer and other things. Uh, so how, you know, as people are listening, some of them are on testosterone, they're hearing what you're saying, their doctor's checking blood levels, and they're thinking, how would I even know if I'm one of these people who's predisposed to making estrone? How, what test would you recommend that they have? So I like to kind of rotate tests with my patients. I do really do like the dried urine test and because you're looking at metabolites. So you can see that predisposition if their testosterone goes to estrogen, estrone and it's really high. You can also see what's called their 5-alpha index. So do they shunt it to dihydrotestosterone? So you can see that metabolism and you can also see the very important estrogen detoxification. So I generally will run those about once a year. I also do like saliva because I feel like it quantifies that conversion to estrogen in the tissues. So that's another thing. Once a year, I do run serum levels. That's what's commercially 
traditionally acceptable. We look for a blood count because you'll see hemoglobin start to go up if you're over-treating someone and hematocrit. We look at ionized calcium because that can start to go up if you're over-treating someone. So we have to prove that we're not over-treating somebody. We do run dihydrotestosterone levels. Again, you know, there are limitations depending on what form of testosterone you're using. If you're doing a rapid dissolve tablet, you can wait till four to six hours after and try to pull a blood level. There's also also something called blood spot testing that ZRT lab does that is whole capillary blood. So even with a topical, you can make some meaningful evaluation of that. And then, you know, like I said, the urine, if I have a patient who's on an injection, some women do better on injections, then you want to time it halfway between. You want to catch the peak and make sure we're not over-treating people. And you mentioned dihydrotestosterone. Let's talk a little bit about the side effects. I had one client in my hormone balance mastermind who had had a bad experience with testosterone replacement before. She said she grew hair in places she didn't want to grow hair. And she started losing hair in places where she wanted hair. And that can be a problem. So let's talk about some of the potential side effects. The hair loss, especially male pattern is a big one. Hair growth where you don't want it, chin hairs, acne, oily skin. I even had a couple of patients come to me after other people overtreated them that had clitoromegaly. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that may or may not reverse, you know. So if and it, so for those of you that don't know, the clitoris and the penis in the embryo come from the same tissue. In a male, it's gonna develop into a penis, and a female, it's the clitoris. So Testosterone, that's a very testosterone sensitive area, which is why it does help with libido if you're using it topically or vaginally, but it also causes growth. Lowering of the voice, not as common. And again, you have to really be way over treated for a while for that to go. That's something also that could be permanent as well. Yeah, I had one client when I had a brick and mortar office, she came in. And she says, hi, so nice to meet you. And she had been getting these bio-T pellets for a long time, and they kept upping her dose because they were following blood levels and thinking it wasn't enough. And she told me that she was walking down the street having orgasms, and her she had clitoromegaly. But I don't want everyone to be scared. I've only ever seen one person come in who was having that. And I've treated thousands of patients, many of whom were on testosterone and not experienced that. And so that conversion of the testosterone to dihydrotestosterone and why I love the Dutch test, and that's why we do it. The, we do that as our test at the Hormone Club. So we can monitor that. And then are there ways that women can reduce this 5-alpha reductase and this conversion that can cause male pattern hair growth or male pattern hair loss? Yes. So knowing their kind of predisposition is really important, which is why I also like that Mm -hmm. test. Get an index with that. And things like being balanced in progesterone. Progesterone competes at that 5-alpha reductase receptor, so that will also help slow that things like saw palmetto can help as well. And we usually have, I mean, there, you know, I'm sure you have some favorite supplements that are kind of like 
more aimed at male health just to prevent the conversion also from testosterone to estrogen, which would be like zinc would be another thing that would be good. Sometimes we see chrysin in there as well. And so there, if we find out that they have that predisposition, we can do that. The other thing that I've done, I have one really interesting patient who had surgical menopause, probably in her 40s, and she's, you know, in her late 50s now. And I've been, I had been working with her forever before it dawned on me that she's dumping her testosterone into estrogen. Mm-hmm. And because like it would either be low or high, there was no in between. And then her estrogen would be high and it was like a wild goose chase. And she's been on every form of test. We've had her on sub Q. I am, I think she went and got a pellet. I mean, we've had her on a lot of stuff. And so I finally put her on arimidase, which is an astrozole, which is a, usually indicated for breast cancer to prevent testosterone from converting to estrogen. Now we don't give the same doses. They also give it for men to make sure they don't convert to estrogen. I think she's taking it either a couple times a week and we're kind of using a lower dose than than would be the dose for breast cancer. But that seemed to do the trick. Yeah, sometimes it is necessary. And this is why customized treatment is so vital. Thank you so much for sharing that. I started the episode with a quote that you shared that you love that I also love. And I want you to talk a little bit about what it means, because I think that it applies to testosterone. So many women are suffering, whether they're still ovulating or in menopause with these health challenges, they don't really aren't getting the answers that they need necessarily from maybe their regular providers. And they have a place they want to get to, which is vital, brilliant, alive health at every age, whether that's 40, 50, 60, 70, beyond. And they don't, they're feeling kind of confused. They don't know the path forward, but there is a place where they can get. And and I love this. Steve Jobs said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something your gut destined life, karma, whatever. And to me, that speaks about the journey that a lot of women find to testosterone. It was even a part of my most recent story. I've been on bioidenticals for over 10 years now. But at one point, I stopped absorbing the transdermals I was using, and I didn't realize it. And it's something called tachyphylaxis for everybody Mm -hmm. listening. And I sing, I don't feel like myself. What's wrong? And I would up my dose, and I still didn't feel any difference. And then when I did the Dutch test, I had zero levels of testosterone. And when I got the testosterone back, it was like, oh my gosh, somebody turned the lights on. (laughs) And I couldn't know until I did the test, until I took the steps to figure out what was wrong and replace it, that it was testosterone. And that's actually what got me, I was already passionate about it, but it really got me extremely passionate about it because it literally was like, there were no lights on in my house. And then all of a sudden the lights came on. And if you've ever had a power outage, you know what that's like. Yay, the lights are on. And so talk about what this quote means to you as well. I think that's a really great application of the quote is perimenopause is crazy. It's up and it's down. Your estrogen's high, it's low, it's all over the place. And then we as practitioners are trying to customize our therapy. We don't know how you're going to metabolize it. So we may give you a dose. It may be good. I mean, it's constant roller coaster and checking and rechecking. And even with you who had been on a dose for a while, your body can still have those things that you do build up tolerance to it. 
So I think it's, and it's so important, even in your, the rest of your life, not even your journey for your health, everything, you do need to go through those steps. The biggest thing I would love is for, to advocate for women that there is help, hope and help out there because you're constantly shut down and, and we don't know why that is and we don't know why the governing bodies make the recommendations they do, but just to know that you're going through that, they're listening to your podcast for a reason, it's going to lead them to you know, what have you to be able to get the help that they need and advocate for themselves. And so you don't know why you have the levels you have or you feel the way you have. And sometimes the decrease in testosterone starts in your 30s and is so slow. It just, you don't even realize the changes. So it might be something like, oh my gosh, I didn't eat, like you said, I didn't even know until I started taking it again. I, I've had patients tell me that about hormones. And so I think it's something that, you know, we try to be really in tune with our bodies. And like you said, you have this goal of how you want to be vital and everything. And we as women keep making excuses. Well, you know, I'm taking care of the kids. I'm taking care of my parents. I mean, I just got to get this settled and then I'll do this. And, but thinking and paying attention to that would be also helpful. And then once we do your testing, we can look back and see, this is why you feel the way you do. Yes. So if you're feeling poorly, there is a reason. Get the appropriate tests. I usually try to stay fairly apolitical on the show, but I do think it's important to talk about, we've talked about the double standard with testosterone men to women, and that's the medical social kind of issue. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on why that might be. I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear yours on why do we have this double standard? Well, I guess my theory is a couple things. And one is that, you know, and I'm still a certified menopause practitioner and a member of NAMS, and I'm l listening to the annual meeting now because I like to keep abreast of the research. It's a lot of men, right? It's a lot of men. And I'm, again, they're thinking it's okay for testosterone, but who's making these recommendations? Are there a lot of women on there? And even the women who are up higher up, I mean, maybe they feel fine and, and on commercially available synthetic hormones. I don't get it, but maybe they do, or maybe they have a different version of vitality. I mean, your skin looks amazing for your age. I mean, these women, you know, maybe they have a different idea. I also think a lot of our research is driven by drug companies. And so if there's no profit in it, then there's no research. And as you know, there's a big um, kind of push for the FDA to kind of shut down compounding. Nobody who does compounding has the money to put behind the research. So it is true. There is not a lot of research on, are the doses good? Are they, are, you know, are they pure? Are they sterile? Are they efficacious? Do they have the, the, the bone density production and everything? We don't have that data because who's going to fund it? And so a lot of our medicine gets skewed by these agendas of these drug companies. And so then if it's not there and they don't see the market for testosterone, although I keep seeing that menopause is a billion, so many billion dollar industry and that, you know, I get these news alerts. So maybe somebody will finally be interested in this because our population is aging. But I think before who was in charge, it was a lot of men and, you know, they think menopause is just hot flashes. It's just in your mind, buck up, you know? Right. And, you know, I do also think that a woman who's got all of her hormones, including her testosterone, is really a woman who's on fire with life. And she's very vivacious. She's very outspoken. And she's all of the things that testosterone gives men gives same thing to women. And I don't know, just saying, maybe there's some 
people who don't want women who are on fire with life, who yeah. are very, who are assertive and vivacious. So I'm not saying this is a conscious choice, but I always wonder how that plays into the regulations. And then when I was creating the Hormone Club with telemedicine and offering estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone bioidenticals to women via telemedicine, the laws are so restrictive where it is a controlled substance. And because of the Ryan Hate Act, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I'm not familiar with the Ryan Hate okay. Act. I'm glad that you mentioned about it being regulated because you're right. We have to write our DEA number, which is our drug enforcement agency number, as if we're writing a narcotic. And I think it's because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is because men who took testosterone when they were bodybuilding or the roid rage and all that is, and it was easy to get. I, I maybe you can share if you know the regulation or why it came that way. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. It was because of the bodybuilders who were using it. They were having adverse cardiac and lipid events. And so they made it a controlled substance. But that neglects the fact that women need this as a foundational hormone, along with estrogen and progesterone, which are not controlled substances. You can buy progesterone over the counter. So it's really insane to me that it is a controlled substance for women. And then in addition, via telemedicine, the Ryan Hate Act was after named after an 18-year-old boy who obtained narcotics through telemedicine and died. So because testosterone is classified as a controlled substance along with narcotics, it's restricted via telemedicine. And that means that women who don't have local providers to prescribe testosterone to them because they're not trained in appropriate testing and they don't know how to formulate compounded formulations, have limited access. So we were able to do it by having doctors in all the states who can consult with women. And honestly, the pandemic, the FDA relaxed the regulations, but it really has made it an access problem for women. So it's something I'm very passionate about and I'm already thinking about how do we get these laws changed? I'm really uh, spurring some advocacy and I know that everyone here listening, hopefully you're a little bit outraged right now and understanding that your biologic viability is limited in what you can access because of a teenage boy and because of ma male bodybuilders. And that just isn't fair. So I'm putting the bug in everyone's ear that we need advocacy around this issue. So now you're aware and stay tuned for more because I have to figure out how do you actually go about getting a law changed, but it's something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, it does restrict access because if you think about it, estradiol comes in a generic patch, even progesterone comes in a generic but you can't get testosterone. So if you're on a limited budget, you already are restricted as to what you can and can't get. So who's to say, who's to make that decision for women, right? Like making it not affordable and not accessible or whatever, what have you, you know, like you said, because there aren't that many people that are educated on how to do this. Right. And I love that other quote that you shared from Mark 923, anything is possible if a person believes. And so everybody listening today, believe that you can have the best health of your life. I don't care what age you are, you can 
have it. You just need to get at the root causes of why you have dysfunction and getting your hormones right is a huge part of that. Anything you'd like to add about that, Dr. Tara? I think that's the hallmark is for women to know that they do have options. And I, and you know, on social media, I get so many messages from women saying, oh, my OB said, don't check hormones. My OB said nothing. My OB said, take the birth control pill, which is going to further suppress your testosterone. So really just for women listening to know that they have the right to seek out, you know, somebody who is familiar with it and somebody who can work with them. Absolutely. And you have a free gift for everyone. Um, one of your foundational courses about revitalizing your hormones. We will have the link in the show notes. Do you want to tell them a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think basically my mission was to educate people. And so I have a hormone course. It's 14 short modules, super short, 10 minutes. You could watch while you're cooking or putting your makeup on. Just takes you through the hormones, the physiology, what symptoms are caused by what what hormones, what is the proper type of testing, what are the different types of testing looking at, goes through just a little bit on gut and yeast as they affect hormones, the genetics, how your genetics affect hormones. And then, you know, at the end, a little bit about, you know, hormone options for women, things that you can do to clean up your diet, clean up your environment that may affect your hormones if you can't get someone to work with you. So just to educate, what can you do yourself to make a change? Awesome. And actually, I apologize. It's not free. There's a small fee, but well worth it with everything that you get in this wonderful course. Yes. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this important topic, Dr. Tara. And how can people find out more? We will have the link to that course in the show notes, but where can they connect with you? So they can connect the course um, hormone-guru.com or Dr. Tara Scott. Follow me on Instagram at Revitalize Med, and I'm a hormone guru on TikTok. Awesome. Yes, you want to check her out on TikTok. She has some amazing videos with wonderful information there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, post it on your social media and tag me. I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic, it's science.